Hello, everybody. This is David Goldsmith, and welcome to the Project Moon Hut podcast series, The Age of Infinite. We're looking to learn from individuals from around the world to help us establish sustainable life on the moon through the accelerated development of an Earth and space-based ecosystem to change how we live on Earth for all species. Today, we have an incredible guest on the line. His name is Rand Simberg. He's president of Interglobal Space Lines. How are you, Rand? I'm good, except I'm actually president of Interglobal Media LLC, but that's fine. Oh, uh, okay. Air, well, Air I, I grabbed some... Spacelines is a previous thing. Yeah, but... Okay. Wor- works for me. We uh, Very quickly, I grabbed a few pieces offline that said, uh, online that says, Rand is an expert in space technology and policy. You worked for three decades in aerospace as an aerospace engineer and project manager at companies like Aerospace Corporation and Rockwell. And the, the bio's online, so everybody will be able to see that. So you can go there and see more about Rand. Let's get right into the topic. It is... Uh, ending the concept of space exploration, and when Rand use, gave that title, I thought it was an interesting dialogue that we should have. So, Rand, uh, I'm assuming you have an outline that we can work off of? I do. Okay, so let's have it. Uh, okay, the uh, first point is, historically, space science was privately funded. Okay. And then... Uh, Apollo kind of warped our national world perception of human spaceflight. That's the second point. Um, point after that is human spaceflight, and this is very important to understand, human spaceflight is not about science or exploration, per se. Uh, fourth point, which is interesting in the context of the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're having like the 50th anniversary of it. The Outer Space Treaty was written in an era in which few imagined anyone other than governments would be sending humans into space. Okay, wow. Uh, My fifth point is that science and exploration must be subordinated to the development of space. It's not just about science and exploration. And finally, I would say that we are returning to the time of private space exploration. Wow. Okay. I've got to I've got to make an, a confession. I've done over 160 interviews. These are the longest uh, bullet points I've ever had. So I wrote as Sorry. fast as I could. No, that's that's fine. I'm 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 smiling. I was laughing because these are long. I normally have the time to write them and still get them out, but yours are yours are very detailed. So why don't we start with the first one? Space science uh, and and drive. What did you call it? Um, space, uh, space science. I said space science was privately funded. Privately funded. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Going I had back the fund. The beginning of America. Okay, so let's uh, tell me tell me about it. Well, first I would say go buy and read a book by a recent book, very recent book, last year or so by Alex McDonald called um uh, God, now I'm going to draw a blank on the title. Uh <laughs> The Long Age of Space Exploration or something like that. Okay. But Alex, go you know do Alex McDonald NASA uh, space exploration. I'm sure if you you know I'll, I'll, duck I'll a look go it, up. it, it'll pop up. Okay. Okay. 
and 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 he detailed he he he's a, he, he worked for NASA he works for NASA he's a, an economic historian and he he pointed out that you know all through the 19th century and through pretty much the entire first half of the 20th century almost all space and what space exploration then was of course was telescopes observatories and they were all pretty much privately funded. They were not government, was not a government thing. And, okay. and it's, a, it's an interesting story because, you know, he talks about all the, how all the philanthropists, you know, they were eager to fund these telescopes and, you know, to try to resurrect, because usually they, they'd, become, they'd become rich by, you know, various nefarious means, so they're trying to resurrect their, <laughs> their <laughs> reputation in the public mind, like, like Yerkes. <laughs> Charles Yerkes. Okay. Yeah. So they're they're <laughs> so they invested in public service type or scientific exploration pieces that the community would look at and say these are nice guys. Right. Okay. Or 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 there or there were subscriptions. And and again, this is very funny in the context of current uh, the, the annoyance of you know current as a scientist who oh we have to you know they they figure out very quickly we have to put cameras on these space probes because people want to see pretty pictures but but uh, originally a lot of the early observatories they would have subscriptions and and the local community would fund the observatory so they could go look through the telescope which really frustrated the astronomers say we want to look through a telescope (laughs) (laughs) so okay so uh i got the book up actually it's called the uh, the Long Space Age, The Economic Origins of Space Exploration from Colonial America to the Cold War. Yes, highly recommended. Highly it's recommended. Got, it's got two reviews, so I'm going to say is yours one of the reviews? I uh, don't know, actually. No, there's... Uh, uh, I, see, I have written... I wrote a review at Reason Magazine uh, last summer about it. Okay, so there's so only two. Right. It doesn't say the person on them, so but they're both verified purchases, so they've got two yeah. reviews. Okay, okay. Well, that, that one, neither of those would be mine. No, but I did write a review at Reason Magazine. Uh, and, so, and, so you know, last summer. So, what's your take that space uh, with this this first bullet point? The space sciences uh, needs to be privately funded. So, uh, that's an example with Alice, Alex McDonald. What what is your what's your rationale behind this? Why do you believe it should be this way? Uh, should government get out of the way? Should uh, how do you how are you? What's your framework for this? Well, my framework uh, it gets into the next. Uh, points that I, that I make, but, uh, 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 you know, something changed after World War II. You know, in 1947, the Hale Telescope went up at Mount Palomar, and it was like the last big privately funded telescope. It, was first, it first saw starlight in 1947, and, and, and after the war, all of a sudden, science became government. And you know that's when things... Hmm? Do you know why? Yeah, uh, it, it, because because it was realized after the Manhattan Project, and we developed the atomic bomb, and you know we needed a lot of government funding going into science to be able to build stuff, weapons, to be able to de- defeat you know the Nazis and the Japanese and then the Soviets. That we had to have a major involvement in government and science. So that we would have the tools that we needed to to build weapons, and as a side effect of that, oh, we also you know got to do stuff in 
in space. So the this is I, it's an interest, as you're saying, and I'm saying to myself, did private individuals who were extremely wealthy at this time did they say, you know, we can keep our money. And let the government do this because they just made money off of World War II. They were building tanks. They were building all sorts of things. They had made a lot of money off the war. There were people who were wealthy industrials who could have done their own funding and done their own projects. Do you know if there's a psychology that's ever been written about or what these people were saying? Oh, that's a very interesting question because the answer is I do not know that. It's, it's, but, I can, it, but I can easily imagine that was what is exactly was exactly going through their minds. They're saying, oh, Gee, the government's building, taking over building telescopes now. The government's taking over, you know, doing space science. The government's going to building rockets and going into space. So why should I? And and, and one of the other points I should make is that again, prior to the war, you know, Robert Goddard he was seeking out uh, private investment, and he got and he got some. He he got you know he got was funded by Guggenheim, but he also got government funding. And he was seeking government funding because he think he thought, and he was correctly, the gee the government should be interested in funding rockets. So that's the, like the most natural place to go to the government, uh, you know, to get money to build rockets is for the government. So, so he, yeah, but it sounds like it sounds like a very. Um, what do you, uh, a very capitalist approach is somebody decided it would be better to get because of this whole Manhattan Project and because of the initiatives that were put forward I bet you they started talking and saying this would be foolish let's keep our money and that uh, backroom table that we'll never know about we'll never hear because no one's ever going to admit to that type of discussion is right. or, or they're dead they're dead. Well, that was yeah. That was another part of it. Is sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I did realize it in my head. I just didn't say it out loud. But somebody said, "Why do we have to do this? Why don't we let them fund it? And we'll put we'll put our money into other places." So, the the movement of people who were wealthy and could have invested was redirected into something else, and that probably was the tipping point of why we moved into this uh, government funding, uh, a back channel, a back approach. So. Okay. Um, cool. I wouldn't quite uh, part say of it, it that I... way. I wouldn't quite say it that way because I don't. I don't think there were that many. It was just that the people who inter were interested in space science all of a sudden they don't care where the money came from. So they were happy okay. to see that the government was starting to fund this stuff, even if it was a side effect of the Cold War. You know, Sputnik and, and, right, and all that stuff that happened in Apollo and whatever, which kind of gets us into the next bullet point. But but so it's. You know, it's not like these philanthropists were sitting around saying, "Oh, I was going to invest in in space science, except now the government's doing." It. I don't think. Well, that's I, really I don't think that. it was. I don't think it was. Well, maybe I said that improperly. Maybe I was. What I was thinking was that they saw they might have been interested in it, but they saw the movement of the government and they saw the activities that were initiated with the the space race, right. and they said. You know, we we can go and do other things, and exactly. as a side, exactly. it wasn't it wasn't yeah. a it wasn't malicious. Yeah, it was just right. well, the, why would we do this? They were interested in space stuff. So, oh well, now the government's doing space stuff, so yeah, yeah so we can our, go fund other stuff. Correct. So there was still an interest because we, what I we found, like space stuff, but now we don't. We can yeah, now we can redirect our money to other stuff that the government's not funding. 
My four years in this now, as you know, and I've been very short time in the space industry, what I have found is that there are so many people who love space. It's just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, and I was never one of them. So here I'm meeting people and they're saying, oh my God, I'm a space fanatic. Like, yeah. oh my God, really? <laughs> so like, and and, you, and you need, if you haven't, you need to talk to John Morris. He should be on your list for podcasts. Send him an email and tell him that he should be on here. So let's move on to your second point, the um, the Apollo Warp. Yeah, Apollo Warped, our national world perception of human spaceflight. And that's that, that just you know, because that's where we are now. So so all this, you know, people have had all these visions about space. And, you know, uh, you can go back. I, I've just written a long essay, at, uh, it's, but it's still in draft form. It hasn't been published, and we're still arguing. I'm still we're having discussions, not arguments, discussions with the editor about how it's going to finally come out. But about the history of, of space visions for the last hundred and you know, going back to the late 19th century, uh, you know, John Jacob Astor uh, wrote, you know, science fiction in 1994 about, you know, colonies on Mars, or not Mars, uh, Jupiter and Venus, or Jupiter and Saturn. I mean, he was really ambitious. He was like doing the outer solar system, okay? But the point is, we had all these visions leading, and, and the science fiction all through the 50s, and uh, but then all of a sudden, so it's launched Sputnik, and then all of a sudden we're in a panic, and then all of a sudden all this government money pours into space, and uh, so all of a sudden the government has really, really taken over space, and and because that happened, we still think 50 years later, 60 years later, that's normal, and it is not. Uh, okay, so. It used for normal. What does normal mean? Normal means this is how things should be done. This is how things work. Well, what I meant is different. Is we have in the United States there is a, a democracy based upon a capitalistic approach or a republic. Right. Uh, if you were to go to another country such as China or Russia, that would not have been an abnormal. That would be normal. Right. That the government is supposed to do it. So it, you, what you're saying is defined by the parameters of the culture at the time, uh, prior to the 50 years or Apollo getting involved, it was actually a different approach than we would have expected coming out of our society. Is that Apollo is a fund, Apollo is a fundamentally un-American thing to do. So, and I can see your approach as you're as you're. I can hear it. I can hear it and understand the concept. It, it's I don't know. And how I've you written can see about it. it a lot. If there's yep. a, um, you know, one of the one of the surprises that I've always thought about is in the nineteen hundred in the year nineteen hundred there were more electric cars than there were more than combustion cars. Right. And then and they were once the combustion engine was created, the men loved the sound and the power. So no. they gave they gave their electric cars to their women, and the men went towards the combustion engine, and that's today we we could have had no, the, the combustion engine happened because the electric starter was invented, and yes. people weren't breaking their arms trying Just to start twisting their cars. and cranking it. But the men ended up liking that, and it could have been we could have had an electric era. For some reason, there was a change. So I don't know if there's not. It's not a capitalistic component. Well, that's a, but that's it was... a whole separate. That's a whole separate discussion. I mean, we can okay. get into that. But but uh, 
No, no. Uh, basically, yeah, electric cars are superior because women could drive, and steam cars too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the women could drive them, but but the gas engines, the internal combustion engines, really, really were superior in many ways, and not just because you know masculinity or whatever your your thesis seems to be. I don't I don't know what that is, but no, the the you know gas cars were better. The the big drawback to to gasoline cars, and you know, we're way off the topic of space. Was, you know, uh, you had you you had you risk breaking your arm trying to start them, and women didn't have the arm strength to do it. But the my con my my parallel to that, or the the reason I brought it up, is that there was a, a fundamental shift, and you're saying that it was not normal, and I think the word not normal is it be it was it became normal because it was an answer to a challenge that people had which was the russians and their influence right it was a there was no private institution that was stepping up right that would have done this so the normal was using americans beliefs as structure the normal was we do whatever it takes including government intervention which was the eisenhower of the roads right. or any other type of philosophy uh, approach. but it was but but the point is it was about defense it was not about space yet it still was the it became a normal because it seemed like everybody's was aggregating together and participating in a project right but and, but it and wasn't that's, about but it was not about space. It was about beating the Russians or the Soviets or something. Yes. If, if we decided that we were going to race them to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, which in fact happened like a couple of years before that, uh, then that would have been the the, the race. So, and, it, it, so the, but, but it did warp it. With the frisson that this is about missiles, you know, which are dangerous, which are weapons. So it was like this whole, it was like a like Apollo was a confluence of events that is never, ever going to happen again. I never had really tied it together that the miss, it was a missile and therefore it tied to defense to find, okay, that's and, an interesting and, and Johnson, parallel. And Johnson said, we are not going to go to bed by the light of a communist moon. Okay. Well, that's the first time I've heard that. So that that's an interesting parallel. Okay. So... The Apollo came on, it was not normal, and it became the normal. It became the normal. It became the way that space exploration, terrible phrase, was done. We, okay. The government spends you know, billions of dollars and you know, large amounts of the national treasure to build a giant rocket to send a few people to the moon, and that's how space is done, and, and we're, we're continuing to fail... 60 years later because they're trying to do Apollo to Mars. Okay. And I, okay, so I completely under, agree. Uh, agree okay. I understand. Okay. So we could so, maybe move on to the next bullet. I don't know. Yep. Yes, let's move on. Because we're not... So you human, know, we're, human, space flight, human space flight is not science or exploration. No. No, and new, human spaceflight was always about moving humans out into the solar system, uh, living in the solar, living, living off Earth. Uh, all the science fiction, uh, everything up, up up until the late fifties, there was nobody, no, you know, Heinlein, Asimov, Clark, nobody would have imagined that we'd be walking on the moon in nineteen sixty nine. That was that was a crazy idea in the late fifties. <laughs> 
and the only reason it happened was because all of a sudden it became important to beat the Soviets to the moon. It was not a natural American progression of how things should have happened. Okay, so what should have happened? What should have happened is that, you know, we should have been kind of continuing, you know, there were there were ideas about how you get stuff into people into space cheaper. There were the low-cost ideas. There were reusable. Von Braun had, he, Von Braun didn't want to build a Saturn V. The only reason he built a Saturn, he had ideas in the 50s. You could go back and look at the Disney films in the 50s that, he, you know, he worked out with Colliers and Disney and, and they, had, they had all these other, and there's going to be like fleets of these reusable vehicles that would assemble stuff in orbit and send people off to the other planets. But we were in such a rush to do things because we had to beat the Soviets to the moon that we did it a crazy way and somehow that's become what everybody thinks is normal, which is why we have the Space Launch System and Orion. Yeah, NASA has to build a giant rocket and a capsule, and that's the only, if it's not doing that, NASA's not doing what it's supposed to do. That's, that's what the, the religion that I call Apolloism. But, but human spaceflight is about moving vast numbers of humans out into the solar system, and there's nothing ever that's been in NASA plans to do that. But Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk want to do that, and they have the money to do it. Which gets back to one of my, you know, some of my other bullet points. What What were some of the nineteen fifties or the approaches that existed at that time in terms of moving out into space as <sighs> as large groups? Well, uh, the the only people who were thinking seriously, uh, probably the only person who was thinking seriously about it at that time. I I, I shouldn't say that. Um, but von Braun laid out his vision very clearly. Because he'd been thinking about it since the 30s, before he got co-opted by the Nazis to, you know, build ballistic missiles, to toss at Antwerp and 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 London. Uh, you know, he wanted to build fleets of reusable launch vehicles that would send people out to Mars. What what was different about them? What was the approach that was? Uh, sci-fi at that time he was going to make smaller vehicles was it going to not be a rocket was it going to no, take it off going, and... no it was definitely going to be a rocket but it was not going to be a giant rocket that threw everything away onto, uh, if you look at the if you look at a Saturn V vehicle the only thing that got back from the moon was that little tiny thing at the very top of that Saturn V vehicle Everything else was thrown away, and that's why it cost so much, and that's why they quit doing it, and that's why NASA, SLS, and Orion will not do that. It's why well, they will be canceled it, ultimately. But why did the? What did he have in his approach? Was it a different? Was it his, a different his approach engine? Was was, his approach was Elon Musk's approach. Don't throw the rockets away. But what, what was it? Was it a different? Was it a different uh, mechanism for thrust? Was it a no, different? No, 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 no. That was Nothing? never necessary. Okay. All that was necessary. All, all, but the problem with a reusable rocket is that you need to use it a lot. You need to reuse it a lot, and 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 it requires a lot of testing and flying 
and and again uh, just to get back to elon you know he's been doing that he's he's flying a lot and he's and he's doing test flights every every single flight that he delivers a payload over is also a test flight because he was testing how to get the first stage back because he realized that the only way to get the cost down is to not throw the damn rockets away but well, and von he... brown knew that too but he did not have time because kennedy told him I need you to get a man to the moon and return to the Earth within a decade. I'm I'm trying to say I'm trying to maybe I'm asking the question improperly. I understand that Elon's trying to do it today. So the trajectory he's not trying to do it today. He is doing it today. That's how what I he's using the same approach. What would have been the trajectory you would have seen von Braun go into? Would he have started off with smaller rockets? Is that was it, did he write about small rockets, testing small I, rockets, returnable rockets? He didn't have the computer power for for for, reland, for landing no, for bringing something back. He didn't. How he was, did not have. He did not have the financial resources to do it the way he wanted to do. Is there material written on how he wanted to do it? I, you know, that's a that's a really good question. I don't, I don't, you know, haven't read through von Braun's archives. But, that's what but, I'm really trying to get at. Is what would the, be, what best, would have been the his best approach? Way to know what von Braun wanted to do is go look, go read his Collier's articles from the fifties, and go look at the Disney cartoons of what von Braun wanted to do. Okay. Because that was completely it, upended by Sputnik and Apollo. And and I completely get that. All I'm trying to figure out is what was his approach, and might it have been his appro- Elon's, well, I'll, Elon's I'll, doing it, but we don't have proof that Elon was doing exactly the way von Braun would have done it. No, unless, no, he's not, no. Of course, he's not doing exactly because Elon came up a decade, you know, several decades, right, decades later. Yes, and yep. he had he had different technological options. Von Braun was doing so, the best he could with 1950s technology, and. Uh, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what Von Braun... I think Von Braun would be smiling on Elon. No, he's definitely smiling on him. I Mine is more... You know, sometimes it's interesting to look at Leonardo da Vinci's drawings because it gave you an insight into his approach that he would have used without the means that we have today. I would have liked to... I would like to have seen the drawings or the intra, the pieces of the documents, the writings to say, okay, what was his approach and how different would it have been without the solutions we have today? So just a, just a curiosity question. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. So I guess we're on to uh, the Outer Space Treaty? Yes. Let's go on to the Outer Space Treaty because this is like my new current project. Trying to figure out how do we open up space in the context of a treaty that was written 50 years ago when no one, uh, not no one, but but no one who was writing the treaty envisioned, uh, could imagine that anybody would be sending people into space except governments. Okay. So we have a treaty that's not designed for, you know, uh, using space resources for people living on other planets, for people owning the land, living the land, digging the land, borrowing against the land, passing the land on to their children. There, there was no thought of that in the treaty that was signed in 1967. 
So and, and if you notice, there's not a lot of people living in Antarctica, even though there are a lot of resources there, because the Outer Space Treaty was based on the Antarctic Treaty in 1967. And the uh, the State Department was happy to sign that treaty because they because the space race was expensive and they didn't want to they didn't want to have to have a race to who say who's going to claim all these bodies in the solar system, many of which we didn't even know existed at the time. So how would you change it? It's oh, changing it is hard, and I don't think right. that that probably will not be the approach. The question is not changing it. The question is how do we interpret it? Okay, how would you interpret it? I would interpret well. It and this is a very uh, you have to get legalistic when we talk about this. And and so as te- I said, teach teach me teach me the layman's version. Okay. Well, the well the the. the there are two treaties. There are two space treaties, and one of them is in force that most, all, in fact, all spacefaring nations have signed on to, which is the Outer Space Treaty, and it calls space the province of all mankind. And I, and there's another treaty called the Moon Treaty, which was 1979, which was is a failed treaty. And it will continue to be a failed treaty, but there are still some countries that are trying to push it. Uh, and it, it declares space the common heritage of all mankind. And I, those sound very similar to you, don't they? Yes, but they're different. I can, but they're I can very, mean, just the way you said them. Yeah. They're very, very different. One of them, the province of all mankind, means that if you want to go out there and stake a claim, you can do that. Anybody, anybody who wants to go out there and do stuff can do that. That's what the province of all mankind means. And, and these, these things were very, argued very heavily in 1967. In 1979, people came along and said, oh, gee, the Outer Space Treaty, it doesn't, it's not fair. It, it's, it, you know, the people who, the countries that don't have space programs don't get a share of what's going on out in space. So we're going to declare it the the uh, we're going to declare the commons. And in fact, Scott Pace, uh, who is the head of the the new head of this national, you know, not counting, you know, it, it, Mike Pence, the vice president, is the head of the Space Council, but the new Space Council, which we haven't had in 25 years, so it's it's a new thing again. But he he gave a speech in December at the Space Law, you know, symposium, the Galloway Symposium. It said. No, we are. We do not agree that space is a commons. It's not. It's not like the oceans. It's not like. No, it's. Uh, it's a province of all mankind. We are going to defend against that. And what that means is that, no, we are not going to set up an international regime to make sure that the resources of space are distributed fairly. And this, of course, comes into the issues of conflicting values internationally. Because some people think that you know some people are communists and some people are not communists. Because that's basically what it comes down to between the two treaties. I'm I'm going to take a wild guess here that you're on the not communist side. Uh, you're you're brilliant. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm I'm just taking a guess. Hmm. The wild ass. <laughs> so if when you. Uh, 
the so where do we stand today in terms of how not just Americans but how does the world perceive moving forward uh, this I, this I, I, I don't know how to answer how the world perceives anything, but there are differing <laughs> there are differing opinions. Yeah, and I, I kind of laid them out. There we have different cultures, we have different values, and um, the Outer Space Treaty is a real, very real treaty. It's treated as very, you know, uh, um, I forget the term. But but it's it's uh, common law. It's it's everybody sort of accepts it. Except, but it's 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 principles. It's not law. It's principles. And the United States position and the position of Luxembourg and and very and a few other various other nations is that you know we can go out and we can mine this mine space and we can use utilize the resources of it. Like if you're living out, if you're out. In the asteroids and there's water out there you can use the water you don't have to say oh we can't use this water we have to ship ask for water to be shipped from earth okay because that would like completely end any possibility and 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 it, uh, again an, an, a useful point at the time they wrote the outer space treaty nobody knew there was water on the moon that was that's that's like a new thing right so it's uh, so my the project one of the projects I'm working on right now is like how do we retool this 50 year old treaty for the 21st century? Where we have a lot where there's a lot of new bodies out there. There's things there are planets and asteroids and comets and, and all kinds of stuff we don't know is out there and and there are ocean worlds. There's more liquid water outside of Earth than there is on Earth. Uh, so we need to deal with this at the UN, and that's one of the things I'm working on. It's there. The the Project Moonhut is its directive is to change how we live on Earth to uh, supply us our humans to address some of the challenges we're facing. There's based upon the movements I'm seeing globally. Uh, we've seen a decline in democracy over the past few years, and I, I don't think, I mean, all the ratings have come out that that's what's happening. Yet we're we're facing social uh, disruption at an unbelievable rate with the artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics, 3D printing, synthetic engineering, and all of the other activities that are engaged in that. And there is some who believe that unless we start looking at resources as humanitarian, uh, we start looking at the resources as means to eliminate or challenge the or, or help the oceans that are dying off at a tr- tremendous clip or looking at global warming whether you believe it or, or where it came from or not the, the waters are warming and so is the uh, the airs the air so how uh, if we were to project 50 years into the future uh, is the is the belief in the common law because people are taking 2000 and 17 2018's beliefs and saying we're going to be like that in 50 years or is it because there's a capitalist component to it how do you read that if if if, uh if you don't make money it's not going to happen if 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 you're not creating wealth it's 
not going to happen. Uh, the people who are not doing stuff in space are not going to benefit from stuff in space, and, and that's just a real. That's just an economic reality. Um, if you if you read O'Neill, if you if you listen to Jeff Bezos, you know they have a vision that we are going to open up the resources of the solar system to benefit Earth. You know, they're, they're, it's a utopia vision, in fact, that we are going to move industrial society off the planet and, you know, make Earth a nature park. That's, that's really the vision there. But it's not going to happen if we think that everybody... You know, we have to distribute the resources equitably by some, you know, set of bureaucrats. Okay. Just just pushing the envelope to ask the question on it. So there is a utopianism component to it, uh, and we've not been Absol- able to predict absolutely. the future. Absolutely. It is a very okay. utopian vision. And, and uh, 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 that uh, kind of gets back to the next point, which it gets back to the first point, which is... Uh, why why do we talk about space exploration and 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 this is where we are in a policy standpoint right now with the US government uh, and if you go read Scott Pace's speech and I know Scott really 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 well because we were colleagues at Rockwell like 35 years ago um, he made a policy speech at the Galloway Symposium in D.C. in December, and he said, you know, we we are going to open up space, and we are going to do, try to do it as well as we can within the constraints of the Outer Space Treaty, but if the, a much better thing to read is go back and read John Marburger, who nobody knows his name, but he was George W. Bush's science advisor, and he gave a great probably the most visionary speech of any government official about space that I've ever read in 2006. And he said that we are going to make the solar system, we are going to expand the economic sphere of humanity into the solar system. So I highly recommend reading that. So my, my question is, you obviously know Scott, so we'll have to get him on the program. Yes. And you, I, I'm assuming you... Good luck with that, but... Okay, yes. okay. Well, uh, what, has he been at the National Space Society at the Pioneering or any of these that I've been at? He no, but he used to, but he used to be on the executive committee. I mean, he used to be on okay. the policy committee. Scott is Scott goes back forty years to this stuff. I mean, one of the, he was involved in L five, you know, in the early eighties when we were fighting the Moon Treaty. How about uh, John? How, how about John? Is he uh, a connected he's person? Dead. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. The late I should have said the late John Marburger. He was, but, but uh, my point is that he, uh, one of the points that both he he said then and Scott said, you know, a few weeks ago, is that and kick it back to the original theme of this whole discussion is that science and exploration must be subordinated to the development of space. Not that we can't do pure science. Not that we can't you know, send robots out just to see what's out there, and that's fun and whatever. But at some point we need to say we are, you know, because we've discovered there's water on the moon. We need to be focused on 
uh, how can we open up space? Because uh, once you discover there's water on the moon, now all of a sudden doing stuff in space becomes cheaper. There's propellant out there. If we find That's... ammonia, there's propellant out there. If we, and, and, and we need ammonia because there's nitrogen. We can, you know, most of our atmosphere is nitrogen. We need that stuff to live in space. The Project Moon Hut's original plans that I started with um, Bruce Pittman were included, and I said to Bruce at the time, all of this science and this recreation and this um, exploration is never going to work. And I, I'm not a science person. I'm a space person. I just right. said, we need to create a space-based economy. We need to be able to sell things and move things from moon and space to Earth and vice versa. Yes. And create a distribution. And that was the original plan four years ago. So that's what Project and, Moon and is about. And reduce is the shifting cost of doing stuff. And reduce the cost of doing stuff space so that the and and uh, you know so people can actually sustainably without having to rely on taxpayers from earth live there and that's and that was the original intention it, that's our original that's still our focus today is we're not focused on science we're not focused on those we're focused right. on mirth the moon and earth right and ours is a box with a roof and a door on the moon then it is the next one is an industrial park where we build and and, and we can go into specifics at another time then after that is extended stay which is like a building uh, people stay a hotel and then after that is community development which is very different in terms of definition but it's not about science and yep. it's not about exploration it's yep. about making something on the moon make, taking something in space bringing it back and having an ecosystem developed exactly. that financially moves exactly. it forward and, and that's, what, that's our plan but the important thing to remember is that is not that has never been it's slowly becoming but it has never been u.s government policy and uh, a and b there are people in other countries who are actively opposed to that okay to, you know what what do you how are they are they well if, are if they, you believe they the space, if you believe that? the space is a commons and that we can't utilize resources unless we first set up this regime that's going to decide how they're equitably distributed it's not going to happen so let's let's take some major players, and I, I don't know the industry as well as you do, but if we were to take and let me go Russia, Japan, China, Russia uh, recently said we want to outlaw capitalism, we want to outlaw private activity in space. The Putin government okay. has recently decided, oh, we're gonna we're gonna push that at Kapios. Okay, so the Russians have said that. How about the Japanese or the no, Chinese? No, no, Jap no. I, I am. I am. Uh, it's interesting that we're talking right now because I am in the very process right now of trying to put together a coalition of both countries and NGOs and people who, you know, want to make this stuff happen. And it was partially spurred by the fact that Putin decided he wanted to do whatever this idiotic thing that he wants to do. Because I'm sure I'm sure Russian space companies aren't that happy about it themselves. But well, I, I just found I found an interesting fact just recently while I was in Moscow. There are only two Russian private companies left. Well, but that's there's, that's more than zero. There used to be about there used to be about seven or eight. Yeah. 
and now they've down to two. And I don't know if you know uh, Alian, Aliana. She's from Galactica. She's one of the things she wants to push is the privatization of, of space. So it's interesting that she's jumped on board. So how about the Chinese? How about the Indians? How about the... Uh, I am I'm in the process of trying to put together an Anglospheric coalition, you know, to come up with like a multi, uh, multilateral uh, for, uh, you know, formulation of how we are going to do this and how we interpret the Outer Space Treaty. And that would, you know, Anglosphere would include India because they speak English because of their, for better or worse, their colonial past. Uh, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, I think, I think the Anglosphere is probably going to, and, and I'm going to try to make this happen, push forward. It's going to be us, and- Canada, UK, Australia, who we need to pull out of the, the Moon Treaty uh, because they now they say they want a space program. Okay, well, if you want a space program, pull out of the Moon Treaty. New Zealand, they just had a launch this weekend. India, Singapore. You know, there's there's uh, there's a potential here to build a coalition for opening up space for Anglospheric values. You uh, and you haven't addressed the uh, China. What is your feeling on their China? Position? China wants to make money. Okay, so is are they going to be a part of the Anglospheric coalition, um, or are they going they, to do their own thing? They. Uh, that's an interesting question. The answer is I don't know, but I, you know, we're talking to them. Okay. I'll leave it at that. And the and Hong Kong is Hong Kong China or not? You know better uh, than that yes, than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, but I think they'll be interested. Don't you think they'll be interested? I. I the China just uh, Hong Kong just dropped on its on the index of innovation uh, around the world on oh. the innovation index. So did the United States, yeah. and they're really looking for ways and means to ignite the spirit of innovation through the Hong Kong economy. So I believe that space is one of those avenues that can that they would be interested in pursuing. Well, we can we can talk. We should talk about that offline. But uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I do offline. I want to. I want to share with you what Project Moon Hut is about because once you hear it, I think now, after all these four years, I think now I understand why Bruce said to me, "David, there's no one talking this way," and you know Bruce well enough to know where the positioning may be yes, yes. in his thoughts. And I and I'm looking at him saying, "This is common sense to me," and it wasn't capitalistic. It wasn't a socialistic. It was just how would I perceive us getting to the moon uh, getting into space right and he said this is something no one's talking about and that's how he got me to the next giant leap and he got me to all these other events because he wanted me to explore and hear and see what was going on in the in the ecosystem space so yeah yeah uh, well cool this is a, you you've made a you made a you made a connection in my head that i had not made which i love I well i, I love. hope hope i've done that too because you know bruce and i have both been in the trenches for decades and it's not a batter. He he just grabbed onto me like a like a pit bull, and he said, "You have to go. You have to be involved." And that that first national space, the what was not the next giant leap, 
I mean, I'm looking at organizations saying these are not going to succeed. You know some of the players that have not succeeded since then. I said this. I just nothing made sense to me, and I couldn't understand why everybody was going in or many of the individuals were going in the direction they are. And he has just been pushing this agenda that I had, and I, I didn't know why it was valuable today. Today, four years later, I'm now getting that that understanding. Can can we move on uh, to my last bullet? Yep. Before, yeah, well, next we have one. A couple minutes. Perfect. We've got um, uh, we've got about tw- thirteen minutes. So we yeah. got some time. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I didn't know. I, I'm just thinking. My, I guess. Yep. I'm, so you're 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 good. We're we're doing t- oh, we're doing funny. perfect I, I, on time. Well, I'm just I, I was thinking we started at five, but and we're almost six. But okay, we did we. No, no. Did, we've we, we well, I started the timer, so that's why I said you just keep on talking. I'm monitoring the time. I think we have plenty of time to talk okay, about it. Okay. Well, my questions. last bullet. Uh, well. So first, I oh, so let, I'm not sure I finished my previous bullet. Science and exploration must be subordinated to the development of space. Did we exhaust that? If you feel so, if you feel like it's covered, it's up to you. Um, Is there well, a point you want to make? Well, well, my point it gets, it gets back to my rant against ex, you know my my war on space exploration. As not not that I hate exploring space, but that that. Uh, it's it's the be all and end all is is was why we're doing this. It is not. It, and I and I completely understand that. So, yeah. is there another point that you would like to add to it, or do you think we kind of exhausted? No, it on, only on to... only that uh, I think that the U.S. government is realizing is very clearly articulating that. It started with the Marburger's speech in '06, and I think Scott said it very clearly in uh, December at the Callaway. But the point is that let's stop talking about space exploration other than as uh, a means, not an end. Yep. That's, that's all I want to, that's really all I want to uh, say. And I, and I, you, you have, heads on the topic. you are talking to the reason to a large degree, why project moon hut exists. That's what four years has been about. It's been changing that dialogue. So okay. let's go on to the returning. Uh, okay. Returning. So we six. are returning because we have people who grew up in the 70s um, wanting, loving space, wanting to do space. I'm, I'm, I just started, I just got a copy of, uh, I don't know if you've read Ashley Vance's uh, biography of Elon Musk. No, I just got a copy of it today because uh, I needed it for research uh, on a long essay I'm writing. But but Elon, well, he was he's this kid in South Africa, and he's and he's uh, you know reading the Moon is Harsh Mistress. He's re- he's he's reading all the science fiction. He's a weird kid. He's getting beaten up in high school because he's a weird kid, and uh, and he's a he's afraid of robots and AI and all. He's afraid all this stuff's going to kill us. And he wants he's very he's frightened. He's he's apocalyptic. He wants us to be a multi-planet species because he's afraid that you know we're not going to survive this one. And I you know without saying whether I agree or disagree, I mean that's the point is. And and then then you got Jeff Bezos who's coming up. Uh, growing up, and he's reading stuff. He's he's reading probably reading the High Frontier, O'Neill's The High Frontier in the mid 70s, because he you know he's a kid, he's in high school, 
And then both these guys go off and they make, and, and oh, oh, and then Jeff goes off and he becomes the head of the, the chapter of space. I just wrote a long, again, I just told you, I just wrote a long essay about all this spaceships and stuff and this part of it. Uh, so Jeff goes to Princeton in the 1980, 1980 probably, or 80, maybe 82, probably 82. He goes to Princeton, and, and, he gave, and, and he gave his high school, he was a high school valedictorian. He gives a speech about space colonies. You know, so we have these people who have gone off and had these dreams, and they said, I'm going to make a lot of money, so I'm going to achieve these dreams. And, I, and I'm thinking... You know, I hitting. I just literally, I hit myself in the forehead right now. You just probably didn't hear it, but I did it. Yeah, I Why did. I actually I did that? hear it. Why didn't I do that? Why did I just focus on space stuff and not just go out and make a make a buttload of money? Yeah. <laughs> make the money so you can play with the toys and you then, want. And then once I got the money, then I can do. Then I can open up space because you know I was stupid. I thought, oh, I'll just do space stuff, right? So anyway, so these two guys did space stuff. So my, so my point is, uh, my last bullet point is, and uh, again, getting back to Alex McDonald's book, which we talked about earlier, which you may or may not remember. Um, you know, we we went into this weird period in night in the you know mid century, where the government took over space, and the last t- telescope. A uh, privately developed telescope named after Edward Everett Hale, because he was a he was an entrepreneur. He was an astronomy entrepreneur who went out and he managed to raise money for he raised money for the Wilson Telescope, you know, uh, you know, above Los Angeles, and and so the last telescope, which was named after him, was on Mount Palomar in 1947, and then after that it was all it was all government stuff. But I think we're getting back, and so now we have the Boldly Go Foundation, started by John Morse, who was former NASA, uh, you know, head of exploration I, or astrophysics. I don't remember what John's. But the point is, he went out and he started he started a foundation to go out look for philanthropists to do this stuff, and you've got Yuri Milner, a Russian, who is funding his own starship. Not, I mean, not to send people, but he's going to send this thing out there, uh, you know, to detect life on, on other star systems. And now, and like last fall in Seattle, when I was there, he announced, I, I want to send uh, a private mission to fly something through the flumes of Enceladus, uh, a, a ocean moon of Saturn that, you know, the... Uh, Carolyn Porco, who was like the you know science person on Saturn, says, "I think that's the best place to look for life in the solar system." The point, uh, so all this stuff, they're driving costs down. They're driving down the cost of not just getting stuff into space and sending stuff out into the solar system, but also driving down the cost because uh, a lot of things have been driving the cost of space probes up has been the high cost of launch so it's all it's just like we're getting into this virtuous circle of driving down the cost of doing the stuff to the point where philanthropists say okay 
this is great. I could fund I could fund a mission to another planet. How cool is that? The uh, <clears throat> you brought up Yuri and Pete Warden did yes. our first telecast, our first podcast. And I went to meet him, and you know his reputation. He's a yeah, smart I, guy, but challenge, challenging. Yeah, and he, when I, when, when I, when I, when when I was done, he, I only do a half hour, and he looked at me and he said, "I'm in." I said, "What do you mean you're in?" <laughs> I didn't know what to say. He says, "I'm in. I'm going to help you get interviews. I'm going to help you meet you at Luxembourg. I'm going to get you the European Space Station. I'm going to get you connected to this." And he did a. He says, "I'm going to do your podcast," and it, it was just like that. And so I guess now, again, you're hitting me and I'm hitting myself in the head saying, now I see the connection. Yeah. Now I, now that ties together. Yeah, I, I've uh, known Pete when he was a colonel. That was a long time ago. Yeah. So the we're, we're seeing it happen and you're using American examples around the world. How are you seeing the returning to, uh, for, for me, if you're you know educating me, what are you seeing that's really amazing on the privatist side of development that you think is standoutish around the world? Um, well, driving down the launch costs. And, and you know, both Mezos and, uh, and Musk recognize that, and they've been that's what they've been doing. Uh, I see that like a tortoise and hare, but, but uh, you know, Bezos is speeding up. He's kicking, kicking the back legs a little bit more. <laughs> um, but 3D printing, space assembly, resources, uh, you know, in-situ resources, those things are going to open up space. And and you, we cannot, you cannot imagine how much is going to happen so quickly in the next decade compared to what's been happening for the last half century because we're finally breaking out of this Apolloism notion that NASA is going, uh, somehow a president's going to come out and say, oh, we're going to this planet and this date and we're going to build a giant rocket and then we're going to say a few astronauts there and that's how it works. No, that's not how it works. That's not how America works. And the big challenge is going to be America versus people who don't, think like America, who people who think if it's not explicitly legal, it's illegal, right? If yeah. it's, if it's uh, you know, oh, and we're, it's a commons, you know, we all have to agree before we can do anything. Those are the challenges. They're not technical challenges. They're socio-political challenges. And, I, that's, I that's, to... and that's what I'm focused on right now. I saw Charlie Bowden give, uh, I'm, I know Charlie, and I, he gave a presentation at a place I was at, and he spoke about Mars. And I looked at him, I said, what do you mean Mars? And I, we sat down for about three hours to talk about Project Moon Hunt, and he was very interested in what we were, what we're trying to achieve. And one of the things I said is, I'm, I'm waiting for the guy who's got a little farm. He's got a farm. He's been stealing a little bit of, of fuel or some type of um, propulsion. And out, just like of all the movies, is out of this farm capsule, there's going to be a guy who goes single passenger up to the moon, figures out how to do it, and comes back and just changes the whole paradigm. Mm. You know, I, I've, it's almost as if that would be one of those, okay, now that we've done it, how do we address this? Instead of, in theory, how would we address this going the other way? Uh, so, any last words you'd like to add? Any last 
pieces you'd like to add to the puzzle for for me to understand a little bit more for the listener to understand a little bit more about what you're doing abandon everything you think about space based on the last 50 years <laughs> it's going to be a much much different this is not your grandfather's space program and it's not a space program space it's is a, a place space, space is a place where we're going to go out and do stuff just like 500 years ago america the new world was a place where people are going to go out and do stuff except we don't we don't have brown or green people to oppress we're just going to rocks don't have rights we're going to go out and open up the solar system well rand this was phenomenal i i I learned a tremendous amount i'm hoping the listeners are are learning along the way i think it was just fantastic i i hit myself in the head a few times not about the elon and the bezos enough but the connectivity there was a tissue here that brought things together. So I, I really loved how you wove this message. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And for those of you who are listening, you can go to, if you'd like to learn more about Project Moon Hunt and what we're doing, you can go to projectmoonhunt.org and sign up for our uh, future space-related database uh, project that we're working on, which will um, can't get into all the details. We're working on a large platform. We've got participate in uh, at project at Facebook forward slash Project Moon Hut. You can like our page, and then it will keep you abreast of some of the things that we're talking about. And you can connect with us on Twitter at Project Moon Hut. So for everybody, I hope you received a tremendous amount of new information, different ways of looking at the at space, uh, books to read and uh, articles or people to connect to in terms of the names that were used during these uh, podcasts. So I'm David Goldsmith and thank you for listening.